You play ball like a girl! Aren't you a girl? Gee, good eye. I'm a girl. That doesn't mean I have to wear a skirt. It's not a girl thing. It's not a boy thing. It's a skills thing. When I first started playing tennis, women weren't really encouraged to play sports, let alone excel in sports. Just want to play ball. Welcome to Ball Like a Girl. And here's your host, Olivia Stacy. Welcome into a new episode of Ball Like a Girl presented by Heavy.com. Happy to be back after taking a hiatus last week. But I have to tell you, I think that you'll find this episode was worth the wait because we have such a well-accomplished and truly inspirational guest, ESPN's Tiffany Green. Not only is she talented and knowledgeable, but she also has such a great personality, so I think you'll really enjoy listening to her. In case you aren't familiar with her career, she's a play-by-play commentator for ESPN, covering a variety of sports, including basketball, football, softball, and volleyball. Prior to ESPN, she worked as a play-by-play announcer and sports reporter at Bright House Sports Network, which is now Spectrum Sports in Tampa. During that time, she was the play-by-play announcer for the inaugural season of Big East Women's Basketball on Fox Sports 1. So clearly, Tiffany brings an exceptional level of experience, but she's also pushing the boundaries for current and future women in this profession. In October of 2017, she made history as the first African-American woman to call a nationally televised college football game. In this episode, we discuss what that moment felt like for her, where she draws her motivation from, and how we can reach more diversity and inclusion in sports media. Take a listen. Hi, Tiffany. Thanks for joining me today. So happy to have a fellow Tampa sports girl on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad. We're balling, right? Exactly. Ball like a girl. And I feel like th- this podcast title fits you perfectly. Um, and it doesn't seem that long ago that I was watching you on our local airwaves here in Tampa doing play-by-play for a variety of high school games and sports and I don't think there's a sport that you can't call <laughs> <laughs> I would beg to differ there I will already single myself out although you're being very nice Olivia I would single myself out and say soccer uh that sport might miss me <laughs> I, and that's not a very popular uh, stance because it is the world's game but uh soccer's a tough one for me well, I feel like with practice, you'd be a pro in no time. Um, but speaking of calling games, you made history last year as the first African-American woman to call a nationally televised football game, a primetime game on ESPNU. Obviously, this is a milestone in your career, but it also marked history in the profession. And this is probably a loaded question, Tiffany, but what did that moment mean to you? <laughs> It it, it meant uh, a whole lot, Uh, and it came with a lot of responsibility. I always think about that because, you know, perhaps there were young women of color before who may have aspired to do it but didn't get there, maybe because they didn't see faces that looked like them, or quite frankly, women that were in those positions. And so I think, you know, 2017 could be deemed a lot of things. I think one of them would be the year of the woman in sports uh, because there were so many women who, in my opinion, broke barriers and made history. Uh, And so I was just 
glad to be a part of, you know, that collective and, and, and chew out my little piece of it. Uh, but it, it meant that my hard work, too, uh, was able to, to pay off and that there was trust in me and my ability to call a football game on a national stage, and that meant a lot, too. And then I think, lastly, uh, it was a, a great way to say thank you uh, to several people who were very helpful along my journey. One, most notably, my father, who has always pushed me, always supported me, especially my dream of calling sports. Um, because working in the industry is one thing, as he did, but he knew that I loved sports and never let me shy away from that. Uh, whether it was taking a news opportunity uh, just to get my feet wet so that I could lift my chops, pay my dues, uh, and put myself in position to cover sports, um, that moment meant a lot. And he was, you know, he, along with my mom, they were the first two people I called. Uh, just to say, hey, did you see it? And what you think? <laughs> and then I called my husband as well. Because <laughs> yeah. he's my biggest critic and cheerleader at the same time. Now, take us through that day. What were your emotions like? Because I can only imagine the excitement you felt, but I'm sure there were a few butterflies as well. Uh, to a degree. I think um, once you, you call a game, you want to have some professionalism in the sense that you feel like, well, I have worked hard to get here and to this point, so I got to have confidence in myself to be able to, to follow it through. And if I sit there and think too much about what it means, then uh, I'm going to probably psych myself out or be you know, overly anxious, and I, and I didn't want that. And it was funny because earlier that day I was just walking the streets in Montgomery and because it was um, Alcorn State versus Alabama State, and my stats guy came up to me and said, hey, you know, I was thinking in my hotel room, and I think you're the first African-American woman to call a football game. And I said, he said, did you know that? And I said, well, you know, I kind of had a hunch. Yeah. Um, and I was sitting there trying to rack my brain and think, well, has anybody that I've known done it before or even kind of come close? Um, and so that was a, a reminder earlier that day. But as um, the afternoon wore on, wore on, it was like, okay, let me make sure I'm dip tight, as I say. You know, yeah. I got to <laughs> know <laughs> everything that I need to know. And, and thankfully, I had a really good chemistry and had worked before with Jay Walker, um, my mm-hmm. analyst. So that helped to make me feel uh, all the more comfortable. Uh, and it was, it, was just, it was just really neat. Um, quite honestly, and I did breathe a huge sigh of relief, relief afterward, you know, maybe not so much butterflies before, mm-hmm. certainly in my mind, I'm thinking about, does this sound right? And am I, am I, am I coming across well, you know, <laughs> right. I certainly was thinking that, uh, you know, in the open, in the first few minutes of the game, but I think more so after the game, I was like, <sighs> You okay, did, it. did it. You, you did it. <laughs> and, and it yeah. wasn't like I hadn't called, you know, football games before. They were primarily, though, for E3. So they were streaming. Uh, they weren't on a linear channel. Uh, so I think that's where that big side of relief kind of came from. 
Oh, yeah. I, I can, I, like I said, I can only imagine. And you said, um, you know, you didn't really put much weight on it being a history making moment. And that totally makes sense. Um, you know, because you are professional, you in some ways want to approach it like any other game. But in the back of your mind, did you feel any sense of extra responsibility? Because in those moments in your career, and you've had many of them, uh, but this one is probably um, of utmost importance and significance, mm-hmm. um, but you you just weren't representing yourself, but millions of other women in that moment as well. Right. Yeah, and I thought to myself, don't screw it up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> quite, quite frankly, uh, above all, um, you know, do your best, but in the meantime, don't jack it up. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I thought um, that if I did a quality job, which I feel like, you know, I try to bring to each broadcast, if I did a quality job, that uh, this wouldn't be a big story, you know, come five years from now. Because maybe there will be not only myself, but more women of color uh, getting the opportunity to call games. And, and again, more women in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, uh, like I said, there was a responsibility that I knew that I brought or took going into that game. And um, I pray and hope <laughs> that I did what I was supposed to do. Um, I got very you know, positive feedback, not only from, you know, friends and family and, you know, folks in the industry, but also, you know, my bosses mm-hmm. uh, and those who are in decision-making positions to give me those opportunities in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it, was, it was just huge. And I, and I think then there's another piece to it, not just for, you know, people who are maybe currently in the industry desiring to, you know, be a play-by-play announcer. But I think what was most impactful for me and what touches me most uh, are the people that say, you know, now my daughter says, I want to be like you, mm. or looks up on the screen and says, I can do that, and I want to do that. Um, so I think that is where that responsibility hits home for me most. And the fact that there were people who felt the need to reach out via Twitter or other social media platforms or really just in passing um, to say that makes that moment really come full circle for me. I'm sure. And as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of firsts for women in this field, not only in 2017, but, you know, really within the past few years, including Jessica Mendoza, she comes to mind because she was the first female baseball analyst. I remember her talking about all of the feedback she received. And some of it we all saw right on social media. Some was praise and very positive, but unfortunately she also had quite a backlash. And I couldn't believe a few of the comments that I saw on on Twitter. And that's what often happens when you institute change, especially in a sports environment that is rich in tradition and has been male-dominated. Um, did you receive, you, you mentioned the feedback um, was largely positive, but did you receive any other feedback after calling that game in October that made you realize that not everybody is there yet in in accepting seeing maybe uh, someone who isn't a white male calling a national uh, national football game. Right, and perhaps because I was covering historically 
uh, black colleges and universities. Maybe I didn't receive that backlash one mm-hmm. um, as much as I may have, and I, I, didn't, I didn't. I haven't gotten a ton, but when I did say, for instance, other uh, E3 games, ESPN3 games, uh, you know, I did receive you know some comments back. But the good news is, while I am on Twitter and social <laughs> media, I am not. <laughs> overly involved with it and so um, I'm sure there's a lot of information that is you know shared each day and a lot of things that are said Uh, but I was reading um, something from uh, Pastor Rick Warren and I I get his daily kind of inspirational messages and he said you know what you're going to have detractors in life but the good news is that they don't really count Mm-hmm. You know, they don't matter. They only matter if you make them matter. And they only have a voice if you give them a voice. And so um, I think sometimes a natural tendency, and, and look, I am not exempt from it at all. For, you know, those few people that follow me and the few people that I follow, um, you certainly go on and look and see, well, what did people say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're, cur- you're, you're curious, yep, right? Right. But the people who matter the most to me, uh, like I said, my, my husband, my parents, my friends, my mentors uh, in the industry and other colleagues of whom I respect, um, those are the people that really at the end of the day were given any weight mm-hmm. in their comments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, I've been blessed thus far. That doesn't mean it won't come, you know, and, and when you look at, you know, folks like Jessica Mendoza or Beth Mullins who are, you know, what they're doing is on the, like, highest of high stage. I'm on the high stage, but they're, like, on a, another couple of tiers up <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, you know, some you know the games that they've been able to do. And so, you know, it's unfortunate that, People, not everyone is as accepting, but like you said, sometimes, you know, just change just has to come and it just has to be a part of the norm. And before you know it, people will say, it, okay, yeah. it, it's not even, it's not even a big thing, you know, slang mm-hmm. being used in, um, you know, everyday life or in, in schools and in, in papers and commercials or whatever. I remember when you were not supposed to say ain't or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. And now, you know, I rem- now this is going to date me, but like, it ain't no thing. It ain't <laughs> no thing. It's all good. Or, you know, then the advent of bling bling and YOLO and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And it became pop culture. And then it was just like, what? This is not the king's English. All this colloquialism just, you know, permeating <laughs> right. through, through society. So, I mean, I, I, it just... It just will take time, and I tip my hat to all of the women who we may not even know by name mm-hmm. who have helped to change the course of, you know, our path in sports and in broadcasting. Uh, and then, of course, you have to salute those who are at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Well, that was so well stated. Um And Tiffany, I know there is a huge amount of work that goes into preparing for a live game broadcast. My role, um, you know, in in a live game situation has been as a sideline reporter. And I know how much time I spend in advance 
talking to coaches, learning about the players, and studying the stats. But in a play-by-play role, you are driving the conversation and the storylines. Most of the airtime is focused on you, and you know you have to be smooth. <laughs> you have to tie in all those working parts. Um, whereas me, you know, I'm on camera for very short periods of time, and it's a tough job. Don't get me wrong on on the sideline, but I have so much respect for play-by-play because you are keeping the conversation together and the entire broadcast. That's a lot of pressure. How do you prepare for that? Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of information, and you know I can certainly identify with you because before I was given a chance nationally to be uh, a play-by-play announcer, I was a sideline reporter as well for college football. So uh, I know the work that goes in and that you do, um, and it just it just is shifted or focused perhaps just a little bit differently. So I am so big into you know the who, what, when and where where are the people from you know who are they what's their background what's their story and how do they get there um but it it is like you in the sense of yeah we're reading through game notes but we're also watching and breaking down film to try to see tendencies you're trying to remember and recall the players um 11 on both sides, offense and defense. Then they have a rotation. Obviously, we have a chart that helps us out <laughs> as well to, to, to look down. But, I mean, you spend countless hours. Should I quantify it? Not quite, probably. I want to say, you know, 15 to 20 hours, you know, a week when you put together, you know, doing your charts and reading, you know, articles and, um, again, trying to watch video and understand, um, you know, just kind of the trends or tendencies of both teams. Uh, coaches' calls as well. When you get on site, you have to kind of go through the same rigmarole, if you will. And, and you, again, have experience doing this. You go on site, then you have coaches' meetings. Then you could perhaps then break down film and watch it with them mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some more. Uh, talk to the players, and then you have production meetings. And then when you go to dinner, you're probably going to be talking about it a little (laughs) bit more. So um, it's just a constant conversation. That's a good thing, you know, because then all the knowledge that you have and all the information that you've retained during the week, you get a chance to kind of flush it out and, see what's kind of important uh, in the eyes of, you know, the crew, and just um, just keep it fresh in your mind. Mm-hmm. So, I, and, and I like being the conductor, mm-hmm. if you will, and, and kind of air traffic control and, and directing all the different parts. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. I never thought about that analogy before. And you, you know, you really have to become an expert because you never know what turn a game might take or a star who might emerge or the third string quarterback who suddenly is leading the game. So uh, to have that knowledge of all of those storylines, I know just takes so much time. And, um, you know, on this podcast, uh, we've talked to many women in this field who um, felt that they faced challenges because of their gender. So I'm curious to know, as an African-American woman in sports media, did you feel you you faced more obstacles, or, or do you feel that um, your story is the same as many other women out there in the in the sports industry? Well, I would probably say because you know it's kind of like a fire. You 
depending upon where someone is standing, you can't really tell their sensitivity level of what they experience versus what you're experiencing. And so I would say that I've probably experienced much of what many women have experienced in this field, whether, you know, you walk into a locker room and guys or athletes just don't want to talk to you because you're a woman, or sometimes they do want to talk to you because you're a woman. (laughs) And sometimes they may not be interested in talking to someone of color, and perhaps they feel more comfortable because you are someone of color. So it's just, uh, it just depends on kind of where you are, the culture of the program that you're covering, the team that you're covering, or the organization that you're working for. And I would say perhaps early on in my career when I worked in Savannah, Georgia, you know, there was a large African-American population uh, in the city. And so the first station I worked for, they were probably a little bit more open uh, to me doing things and me kind of being a face. The next station was not so much, (laughs) and I was nitpicked on for every little thing, but, you know, you just keep your head down, keep working, and I got a chance to work with uh, a fantastic guy by the name of Chris Clark, who I learned a lot from because he showed me just how to, I, I felt like I knew how to tell stories at the time. I was just a reporter, right? Not just a reporter, but I was a reporter, Mm -hmm. and so he really showed me how to tell a story completely, not just in my writing, but in my shooting and Mm. in my editing. Mm -hmm. So I took from there, and I was ready to get out. Trust me. I (laughs) I was ready to move on because I did feel like I was overlooked and I was picked on, and everything that I did was magnified. It seemed so much more than others in the newsroom. And perhaps those others didn't look like me or perhaps those others had more experience than me. I mean, you can look at it a number of different ways. I felt one way Mm -hmm. and I felt like it was a a trend and it wasn't just an exception, but it was more a rule of kind of how they did things. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm just going to keep working and I'm going to work really hard to get out of here. My faith too um, rooted me in this, understanding that it's okay you're here to learn something and this is a lesson that I want to teach you so in this process of frustration know that there is a greater purpose or a higher learning that you can take from it and I was thankful for it because and of course you know you hear always about having thick skin in this industry because people going to tell you things they're going to yeah. say a lot of things and it's so subjective in a lot of ways that if you take everything that someone says, sometimes even good or bad, but especially on the negative side, man, they, you can get beat up mm-hmm. pretty quickly, and um, you're not gonna you're not gonna last long. And so that only helped me then when I went to Orlando and later Tampa uh, with Central Florida News 13 and then Bright House Sports Network, which is now Spectrum Sports. And I think even then. I had some times where, you know, I remember covering the Florida Gators for the national championship season. I was there when Tim Tebow was like, you will never find another quarterback (laughs) who will work as hard as me, you know, that big speech. Uh, I was there, and I didn't get to follow them. And the postseason, I was like, wait a minute, but I'm the one on the sidelines, one man banding this in the swamp. 
off. And at the time, they had the really big cameras. So this yeah. was, you know, lugging around, you know, 25, 30 pounds with that in the tripod. <laughs> oh, man. I'm the one who who's doing it. Why aren't you giving me the opportunity? But perhaps it was just someone that they felt more comfortable with, mm. and that was not me. Or uh, perhaps they had seniority over me. Mm-hmm. So I had to say, okay, you're not covering this SEC championship game. That's okay, because you're going to just keep working to show them why you deserve to cover the SEC championship game in the future and other major events. And I just kept my head down, and I kept praying. Mm -hmm. And I kept my head down, and I kept praying. And I tried to improve and get better and better. And I think that is a part of what we have to do as women, and I think especially as you know, African Americans, where we sometimes just have to work harder, <laughs> yeah. perhaps even twice mm-hmm. as hard to prove that you deserve it because you have the same knowledge as your male counterpart. Um, and you know, so that I probably kind of went off on a tangent. No, there, that was but, all really. But hopefully, uh, you know, in that. I gained the respect of my coworkers, mm-hmm. and sometimes it took a little bit longer to gain the respect of some, but in the end, I hope that I walked away, and both they and I knew that I gave my very best, I did my very best, and um, hopefully they respect me for it. And that was incredibly insightful. Thank you for sharing all of that. And it ties into a piece that I recently read that you wrote on mogul.com. The title was Till the Soil and You Will Reap Your Harvest. And I have to tell you, your writing combined with your faith, it, it really moved, moved me to tears <laughs> reading this. Um, and all of you reading, um, you know, or, or listening rather to this podcast um, out there, you need to read this. But um, you wrote, I always knew that my time would come, but in God's timing. And we are all faced with our patience being tested, whether it's in our career, in a sport, if we're athletes, or in our personal lives. And, you know, you reference a lot of moments there of frustration and of struggle, of not thinking that your talent, your work ethic was being realized. Where did you draw your motivation from? You mentioned your faith, um, but, but where did you feel inspired to continue to show up every day and put your best foot forward when you felt, I'm not getting recognized? <laughs> Whew. Uh, well, certainly calling on the name of Jesus was helpful, yeah. and I found strength <laughs> in that. I think I talked to um, my parents. I had a wonderful support base and a very supportive family, mm-hmm. and so those important people, <laughs> and I, I keep referencing my mom and my dad, mm-hmm. uh, my husband, my sister, my cousins, I mean, aunts and uncles, everyone has known that this has been the dream that I have had my entire life. For as long as they've known me, and I can really <laughs> put sentences together and, like, coherently express what I'm thinking, everyone's known mm-hmm. Tiffany wants to be a sportscaster. And so because I didn't deviate from that all throughout my life, they finally got on board at one point or another. And so when they heard me or saw me, you know, wearing, you know, my, I was, I'm a big Cubs fan. So Cubs baseball cap, I got my 
you know, boot roll up as my big league shoe <laughs> tobacco. You know, I'm using my mom's ottoman as, you know, my, the, pit, the, uh, the catcher's mitt. Like, I am calling play-by-play with Steve Stone, Tom Brenneman, and Harry Carey. I'm in it. Okay, I am in it. And I guess whether they witnessed that or me always watching sports when I would go to visit them, they got on board. Mm-hmm. So as time progressed, when I said, hey, you know, I want to go to FAMU and I want to, you know, major in journalism, become a sportscaster, they were like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when I got internships during the summer, oh, wow, she, she's really doing it. I mean, so I think they saw that not only did I say it, but they were actually seeing it. And they continued to encourage me all throughout the process. I think also you have to see people in positions of success. And outside of my family, I saw people, and, you know, one who is always near and dear to my heart, Robin Roberts, right? She Mm. is the epitome of everything that I would want to be as a broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, Just polished and poised Mm -hmm. and knowledgeable and compassionate and genuine. She just, she's got the it factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly she's on Good Morning America as your main anchor. Um, she's just, she's just got it. And she's and somehow still relatable through all of that, you oh, know? And she's totally so relatable. relatable. <laughs> totally relatable. I've met her back in 2009, 2010 in the National Association of Black Journalists Conference. And it was so funny because I went, went up to her. Okay, so I hear, okay, quick story. Let me yes. just share this. Oh yeah, I want to hear. Right. <laughs> in a ballroom full of people. This is the ESPN mentor breakfast at the conference. She was a speaker. I knew it's all like plotting and planning. I'm going to be there. I'm not only going to get a picture, but I'm going to meet her. Okay, this is the plan going in. By the end of the breakfast, everyone was lining up to take pictures. I was like among the last in line. They were like, okay, well, she doesn't have any more time. Everybody just get together and take a picture. So I had to take a picture with like five other people. And I was just like, no! I want my own picture! I've been waiting for this moment forever! So, I was bold enough and it was just like, Robin, I've been watching you since I was, you know, a little girl. She was like, dang, why are you going to make me feel so old? <laughs> I was like, my bad. <laughs> Can I take this picture with you? So I got like a solo picture with him. Then I decided to hang around. So I knew Sage Steele from conferences past. So I was hanging around talking to her as Robin was being interviewed and all that good stuff. All right, let's fast forward. I walk out. I leave because it was like 30 minutes later. And it looked really awkward that I'm sitting here, (laughs) Sage Steele and like some other heavy hitters, and then just like me. So I walk out, go to the bathroom, call my friend. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm just screwing up this moment. She said, Tiffany, what would Jay-Z do? Huh? What would Kanye do? <laughs> big Jay-Z fan. Just let me go ahead and throw that out. Disclaimer. Big Jay-Z fan. And I love it because he's got a great confidence and swag about him. Mm-hmm. So it's like going in the bathroom, you know, putting water on my face. Let's do it. <laughs> go back in. In this empty ballroom. And was just like, oh, excuse me. Robin, Robin, hi. Can I, can I just take a moment of your time? I go up to her and I say, you know what? I have been replaying this moment in my mind. For as long as I can remember, and now that I'm here, 
and I just bust out crying. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> you gotta say something, kid. Come on. Um, so anyway, we ended up having a, a good, hearty conversation. She hugged me. She was like, oh, my Aww. goodness. I asked her, would she be my mentor? She said, yes. I sent her stuff. Olivia, do you know she responded? Not only responded, wow. wrote a letter, called me, told me what she saw in my clips with Coach Pettis, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, oh, my gosh, driving down to heaven. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. What an One incredible story. Best moments string of moments in my life <laughs> oh wow that's that's a great story and she yeah she's someone who I admire on so many different levels and um I can see her being a, a perfect mentor for you and I there's some similarities that I see between you two and I, I I find you have such an exuberance on air and being on air with you actually last week um on spectrum sports your old stomping grounds you know it's just a yeah. contagious energy that you bring so um, I, I know you have so many wonderful moments ahead in your career, and it'll be very exciting to watch you continue to make history. Um, I that, Olivia. And I, I know we're, we've reached our time limit. I could talk to you for hours, though, and hopefully I can get you back on the podcast soon. But a question, the last question that I want to ask you is something that I think I want to start asking all of our guests. Um and as you know, the name of this podcast is Ball Like a Girl. So I want to know, what does, what does that phrase, when you hear that, what does that mean to you? Ball like a badass. <laughs> we, excuse me. I mean, that's, that's immediately what came to mind. Because we as women, girls who grow to women, can do so many things. We are multi-talented. We are fierce. We are competitive. We are ladies. We can switch it up. It doesn't matter what field of play that you're on. We can ball like a girl. We can ball in the boardroom. We can ball wherever. It doesn't matter. So ball like a badass. <laughs> I Please love excuse it. Excuse my language. Uh, <laughs> no. My mom would not be happy with that. <laughs> no, thank you so much for for all of your time, and I love that answer. That 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 really invigorates me. I feel like going out and running a marathon or something. Um, yeah, I, I love the title of your podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you, Tiffany. And I tremendously appreciate the time, the insight and knowledge that you shared. We will be watching you and cheering you on. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Next week, we're welcoming Steph Lowe, who is a sports reporter for the Seattle Times and president of the Football Writers Association of America. She's the first woman to hold this role, and she is so highly respected in this industry. I know she's going to bring such valuable insight. If you have questions for her, share them with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We'll make sure to select a few and use them in that podcast next week. Also, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback is really helpful and helps us to tap into topics of interest that you want to hear. So keep those comments coming. But in the meantime, have a great week and remember to ball like a girl.